When it comes to relationships, trust is a big deal. Is that an understatement? When it comes to relationships, trust is a big deal. If you trust someone, you don't doubt them. As a matter of fact, we say that we give them the benefit of the doubt. Surely, that can't be true of this person. I trust them. He would not have said that about me. He would not have done something like that. You believe the best when you trust someone. What kind of person do you want to marry? There's not a lot of trust in the husband-wife relationship. There's not much of a relationship. Of course you want someone you can trust. Parents, what kind of relationship do you want with your children? Especially when they get the keys to the car. You want a trustworthy relationship with your children. Business owner, who do you want for a partner? Somebody that you've got to keep your eye on? Or someone that you can trust to run the shop when you're not there? You want someone you can trust. What kind of banker do you want? Bookkeeper. At the end of 20 years, if he says, hey, I just needed to let you know, just clear the air, I took $5 out of your account every week for the last 20 years. It wasn't much, $5? You didn't miss that, did you? You'd be a little upset if your investment banker, your bookkeeper... Stole from you. How, how much would he be able to steal and it still be okay with you? Just a little bit? Maybe not $5 a week, maybe just a dollar a week. $52 a year for 20 years. The truth is, when we think about trust in a relationship, this may be a little bit of an odd analogy, but the truth is, we are all, in one sense, business partners with God. And the real question is, how are you doing with that? Have you proven to be a trustworthy partner with what God has entrusted to you? I like the way one person has said it. He said, if you worked for a company called You Incorporated, and you managed money for You Incorporated the way you manage money for you, would you fire you? Did you get that? If you manage money the way you do personally for a company, how long would you be employed? Are you planning for the future? That's a powerful question. And in the exact same way that we want someone trustworthy managing our relational and our financial resources, God wants us to be good managers of the resources that He has entrusted to us. And friends, let's just make really clear. Those resources are far beyond our pocketbook. It's everything that He has given to us. Will we prove to be the faithful partner that we all want to have? I found this hard to believe, but it's been said that most families in our country will see $2 million flow through their hands over their lifetime. That's not really hard to get to. If you make $50,000 a year for 40 years, that's $2 bucks. 
And that's what money does. It flows through your hands. From one person's hands to another person's hands. That's why it's called current. See? Thank you, Larry. I got at least an obligatory laugh out of him. But he's on the payroll. (laughs) The test is this. If money flows through your hands, what do you do with it when it is in your control? Do you honor God with it? And for some of us, honoring God with our money means uh, you take this little bit here, this 10%, and you do something good with that. But then the rest of it, you can do whatever the heck you want with that. Guys, that's not good stewardship. That's not good management. So that's what we're talking about this morning is the whole idea of management, or to use an older term, stewardship, to steward the resources of our king that has entrusted us with his resources. And this goes far beyond an annual tithe sermon that says, give your 10% to God. Because we have the audacity to believe that God owns 100% of what we have, not just 10%. Do you believe that that's true? That God owns 100%. So this morning, I pray that we can catch a biblical vision for being good managers of all of the rich resources that God has provided for us. And so this morning, we will be in the Old Testament book of Deuteronomy, fifth book of the Old Testament, chapter 8, verses 2 through 18, to, to explore this topic of being a wise manager of what God has entrusted to us. And the very first point that we have this morning The very first thing for us to realize is this very thing that we're talking about, is that God is the owner of all things. Your record collection, or in case of Larry Gregory, your eight-track collection. Your car. Your house. God owns it. Your baseball card collection from 50 years ago. God owns it. And as we look at the book of Deuteronomy this morning, the book of Deuteronomy is a fascinating book because Deuteronomy is essentially a collection of Moses' sermons. Moses is at the very end of his life. It's at the very end of the 40 years of wandering in the wilderness as the nation of Israel stands poised on the brink of the Jordan River to cross into the promised land that God has promised to them. And so the book of Deuteronomy, in essence, works as a motivational sermon to tell the Israelites to remember, to recall all of God's faithfulness to them and to encourage them to be faithful to God in all things. Listen to Deuteronomy chapter 8, verses 2 through 10. Moses, inspired by the Holy Spirit, writes these words. You shall remember all the way which the Lord your God has led you in the wilderness these 40 years. He humbled you, verse 3, and he let you be hungry, and he fed you with manna, verse 4. Your clothing did not wear out on you, nor did your foot swell All these 40 years, verse 7, 
For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land, a land of brooks of water, of fountains and springs, flowing forth in valleys and hills, a land of wheat and barley, of vines and fig trees and pomegranates, a land of olive oil and honey, a land where you will eat food without scarcity, in which you will not lack anything, a land whose stones are iron and out of whose hills you can dig copper. When you have eaten and are satisfied, you shall bless the Lord your God for the good land which He has given you. In this passage, <clears throat> in this passage Moses just very simply rehearses all of the many ways that God has provided for them. He has rescued them from Egypt. He has provided for every need that they have had, whether it be for food, manna from heaven, quail blew in on a wind, water from a rock, clothes that did not wear out for 40 years. I don't know how there are any women that were in the Exodus, but they did not go shopping for clothes for 40 years. Their clothes did not wear out, And he said their shoes lasted the entire time. I guess their kids didn't grow. I'm going through shoes like you wouldn't believe. But God had faithfully, as they look backwards, provided for them. And you know what's great? Sometimes we think of God's grace and His mercy to us as a commodity in the past. And we want to hoard as much grace to ourselves because you better get it while the getting's good. And we love to, uh, we sing the song, count our many blessings. Oh, it's great back there. Do you remember all the good stuff that God did? But do you notice that Moses, in recalling God's faithfulness, is not just oriented to the past, is he? What does he do? He says, just as God has been good in the past, that helps us to have faith for the future. You ever think about the fact that just as God has been gracious to you in the past, He will be gracious to you in the future. If there's anything that God's grace and mercy in the past should teach us, it's that we should love and trust Him more because there's more grace that is coming. And He says, guys, 40 years in the wilderness, God was awesome. But you know what? That was 40 years in the wilderness. You know where we're going now? The promised land. Now, Show of hands, Uh, we're going to have a a church-wide vacation next summer. All of you interested in going to the desert, the wilderness, raise your hand. Who's interested in going to the promised land? Nobody? Listen, you give me a choice between the desert and the promised land. He's saying, listen, God was faithful through the hard times. Guess what? There are better things. There is more faithfulness coming. So this morning... In your personal walk with God, you may be standing at the brink where the Jewish nation was. Yes, God has been faithful, but it has been a wilderness experience for you. Can your soul rejoice that if God was faithful to you in a trying time, that there's a promised land that's promised to you? Oh, God is a good 
God. And Moses is telling people, he's calling us to be grateful and to remember what we've received. And then he says this amazing thing. Don't just be grateful and remember, but when you get there, it says, and you are satisfied. What do you do? Bless God. Bless God. Now here's the issue. Moses rehearsed everything in the past that was great and then went through this large (laughs) list of things that are going to be there in the promise. And there's barley, there's wheat, there's olives, there's all kinds of stuff. Even the rocks are awesome in this place we're going to. They're iron and they're copper. I mean, even the dirt that you walk on is prosperous. We don't live in an agrarian society. So how do we apply this blessing God when you're satisfied? People were especially thankful for food. That means that uh, the children of Israel were indeed Baptists. How do we apply this to our lives? When we think about being grateful and remembering what God has done for us, there's two real ways that I see people apply this to their life. One is every night when they eat their dinner, what do we do? We say grace. God, thank you for our food. Uh, You've provided it. Thank you. We're going to eat it now. Amen. Um, And then one day out of the year called Thanksgiving. Now, we may not be in the children of Israel syndrome where we're literally relying upon God to give us food and water for the day. Do you know what? God provides for you. And for most of you in this room, it's called your paycheck. And when you learn how to manage the resources that God has given you, you transition from saying, oh God, when you get your paycheck, to saying, thank you, Jesus. How many of you, when you go to the bank and you deposit that check, praise God for giving you the ability to live? Or is this just, you know, it's part of the checklist of what I got to do this week. Got to go to the bank, got to deposit the check, got to write checks. How many of you, Use the means by which God is sustaining you and providing uh, for you as an opportunity to bless God. Even a trip to the bank is an opportunity for worship for the devout Christian. And we tend to think of money as a non-spiritual thing. God provides for us differently, but no differently than He provided for His people in the past. And so to make this clear, listen to other passages that clarify and amplify this fact that God owns everything and He gives it to His people. Psalm 24, 1. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. What exceptions does this make for God's ownership? Zero. The earth and everything the world and every person. Do you know God owns you? He made you. And if you're a Christian here this morning, He has redeemed you. He has bought you back. You are doubly God's. How do you honor Him? Psalms 50, verse 10. Every beast of the forest is mine. The cattle on a thousand 
hills. Not just the cows, not just the things, but the ground. He owns the cows, he owns the hills. And then 1 Chronicles 29, 11 and 12. Yours, O Lord, is greatness and power and glory and victory and majesty. For all that is in heaven and earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head above all. Both riches and honor come from you, and you rule over all. In your hand are power and might, and in your hand it is to make great and to give strength to all. This first point is really quite simple. Look around. You're you're allowed to look around in church. Look around. And everything you see belongs to God. Go home, make you a spreadsheet. List out everything that you own. And everything you put on that sheet belongs to God. Go to your workplace, empty out your desk. Everything that your boss owns doesn't belong to your boss. belongs to God. That's why thou shalt not steal. It, it belongs to God. You will not find anything that exists on this planet that doesn't belong to God. And while this is a very extraordinarily simple point, there is a big problem. There's a big problem. We forget. We actually think we're the owners And we cram God out of the picture. And that's our second point. We must actively combat forgetting God. We must actively combat forgetting God. Listen to verses 11 through 17. Beware that you do not forget the Lord your God by not keeping His commandments and His ordinances and His statutes, which I am commanding you today. Listen to this. Otherwise, when you have eaten and are satisfied, and have built good houses and lived in them, and when your herds and your flocks multiply, and your silver and gold multiply, and all that you have multiplies, then your heart will become proud, and you will forget the Lord your God who brought you out from the land of Egypt." out of the house of slavery. He led you through the great and terrible wilderness with its fiery serpents and scorpions and thirsty ground where there was no water. He brought water for you out of the rock of flint. In the wilderness, He fed you manna, which your fathers did not know, that He might humble you and that He might test you to do good for you in the end. Otherwise, you may say in your heart, My power and the strength of my hand made me My wealth. It says, don't forget. It says, don't disobey. And then it says something really amazing. Everything that we have is a reminder to love and obey God. Everything that we have is a reminder to love and obey God. So when your alarm clock goes off in the morning... That alarm clock, that thing that you bought 
that God provided you the resources to buy is a reminder for you to love and obey Him. He has given you everything. And basically, that's the point here. God has given us everything materially, and He has done everything experientially. And this puts our obedience into a whole new light. If you view everything that you have as belonging to God, you have living illustrations every minute of your existence of how much God has blessed you. So you may say, you know what, I'm looking down my row, I don't have as much as that guy. That's not the point. Do you have anything at all? Because God has given you things to remind you that He is the one that provides everything that we have. And He provides a living reminder and illustration that He has done everything for us to make it easy for us to obey Him. When we think about all that God has given and all that God has done, our obedience should not be hard. We should be reminded of how much He has loved us and blessed us. But the truth is, we forget Him in spite of all that He's given and in spite of all that He's done. Like the proverbial kid at Christmas that loves the present he's tearing into until he tears into the next one. He forgets all about that first present because now it's the next thing. And you'd have thought, wow, that was quick. He was sure grateful for 30 seconds until he had more stuff. We don't want to be that way. We want to work at contentment. We want to work at honoring God with everything that He's given us. And what the Bible says is that prosperity has a way of making our hearts fat and flabby. They get out of shape. And what we find is that prosperity blinds us to provision. Prosperity blinds us to provision. When we have a lot of stuff, we start to forget that God's the one that gives it to us. And so prosperity blinds to provision. And you know this, because it's really easy to ask God when you need something. And it's quite a bit more difficult to praise Him when it's supplied. Oh, God, I need your help. And then when help shows up, do we say thank you? Wow, dodge that bullet. Glad I made a smart decision. Prosperity blinds to provision, and success fools into self-sufficiency. Did you see what the Bible said in verse 17? My power, my strength, my hand, my wealth. I made myself prosperous. I've made myself successful. And the truth is, when things are good, when there's not a crisis... We tend to forget God. That's why it says, don't forget. But here's the thing that's even worse. It's not just that we forget God. This passage says we do something even worse. Are you ready for it? Drum roll here. Put that in. What what do we do instead of forgetting God? We replace God. And who do we replace Him with? ourselves. My strength, my hand, my power, my wealth. It's idolatry. And the problem is, even though we don't have a statue carved out of wood or stone, 
We bow down to the idol of ourself and we forget everything that God has done for us. We convince ourselves that the good that has come our way is due to our own effort. Or doggone it, I deserve it. And I've worked hard to do this. And fortunately, into our predicament of self-idolatry, God speaks a word of grace in verse 18. It says this, But you shall remember the Lord your God, for it is He who is giving you the power to make wealth, that He may confirm His covenant, which He swore to your fathers, as it is this day. What the Bible is telling us here is that we remember best by managing well. We remember best by managing well. In effect, he says what we say on our Lord's supper table. Remember me. And certainly, when we gather to remember the Lord's supper, we remember his sacrifice, his death that makes us right with God. But there are other things to remember, like his ownership of all things, his rich provision for his people. In verse 11, he had said, don't forget. But in verse 18, he says, remember. What's the difference between not forgetting and remembering? Not forgetting is passive. Hey, hey, don't forget. Pick up milk on your way home from work. Ah, oh, shoot, I forgot again. Remembering requires intentionality and discipline. You have to work to remember. Be disciplined. Be intentional. And the question is, what do we need to remember? Verse 18 lays it out for us. Remember that the mighty power that our hand has to make wealth is given its power by God Almighty. So all that stuff and all those experiences that he's given are to remind us of him, to use those things for his glory, to manage those things in a way that makes him proud, to steward those things well, because ultimately they don't belong to us. And when we remember, when we realize that everything is from God, not just the cows in the hills, when we remember that Everything is supposed to be an illustration of His provision for us. You have a reminder that every moment of every day is an opportunity to worship God by how you use the things that you have. And it's not just stuff. It's not just things. I'll ask the question, what do you have that you have not received? In your, in your bulletin, There's a little illustration. For some of you, this may make no difference in the world. For some of you, this will be helpful. It's a simple piece of paper, copied, I think, four, five, six to a page. Didn't cost a lot of money. But the significance behind this is huge. It's a quit-claim deed for you to sign on this day of whatever month from your name to the Lord. And it says, I or we... Hereby transfer to the Lord the ownership of the following possessions. Here's a question for you. Does God God own your car? 
Do you own your car? I heard a guy who practiced this, had bought a, was in a position to buy a new car, and after two weeks, somebody put a nice big old dent right in his driver's side door. And instead of getting mad, you know what he said? God, I don't know why you wouldn't have put a dent in your car. But if you did, I'm okay with it. You bought a brand new car, would that be your attitude? So here's a question for each of you. This is going to be a little bit different because what you have isn't what the person sitting next to you has. What would you put on here? What are things that you need to transfer the ownership of? Well, where'd you get your abilities? You didn't, you didn't create those abilities. God gave you those abilities. What resources do you have at your disposal? What skills? What talents? What opportunities do you have? God gives you the opportunity. God gives you your bodies. He gives you your strength to do what you do. He gives you energy. He gives you employers. He gives you homes, jobs, business partners. He gives you your ideas, the creativity that you're so impressed with isn't yours. God gave that to you. Your hard-working ability, your nose-to-the-grindstone focus and intensity, that dedication, God gave that to you. Your ingenuity, your initiative, your problem-solving ability, that's not you. God has given it to you. And so whatever it is that you're tempted to hold on to, just realize that when you claim it for yourself, you're saying that it doesn't belong to God. And at this point, our scripture is saying everything belongs to God. So either the Bible is lying or we are. He gave it all because He loves us and He wants us to use all that He has given us for the good He's called us to do. Do you see how verse 18 ended? He said, I'm giving you the power to make wealth in order that God can confirm His covenant, which He swore to your fathers as it is to this day. God is giving the promised land, and He has done everything in the past because He is confirming His covenant. Do you remember what His covenant is? That through the children of Abraham, that all the nations of the earth will be blessed. We say this all the time. God blesses us so that we can be a blessing. You know how we are a blessing? When we manage the things that He has given us for uh, His glory and for the good of others. When we remember that everything has come from Him, it makes it much easier for us to obey Him. It is all His and He's given it to us to manage on His behalf. And the truth is when we're the manager When we're the steward, that means that God is the owner. And this changes everything. This changes our outlook. When you love the person you work for, you work to please the owner and use his resources the way that the owner wants you to. That's just the way that it happens. I remember learning how to cut the grass as a boy. And it wasn't enough just to get the grass cut. It needed to look good when you were done. You needed to have the lines in the lawn. You've got to understand, that's euphoria for a guy, you know, to be able to look at freshly cut grass and see this beautiful manicured, you know, 
we should paint our, you know, uh, college mascot in the grass and then it'd be perfect. Um, I was tempted to just get done with cutting the grass as quickly as I could. And I learned an important lesson that it's about making my dad proud of the work that I did. Not doing the littlest to get by, but doing it so that when, I got, when my dad got home from work, he said, you cut the grass today. You did good. And in the same way, when God is the owner, we do things to please him. It's kind of like driving someone else's car. Here just a week or so ago, I, I changed cars with someone for about 24 hours. You know what you do when you drive someone else's car? You do donuts in the parking lot. And you know, you, um, you see if the zero to 60 thing that you saw in the commercial is really true. How fast can I get? No, you don't. You, you, you don't even want the person whose car you're borrowing. You don't want there to be any presence that you have actually been in their car. You want to keep it clean. You want to return it to its rightful owner in better shape than you get it. You armor all the dash. You, you vacuum out in case any follicles of skin have fallen. You, you want it clean. You want to get it back to the person in good shape because you are not the owner. So when God talks about money, if it's mine, my job is to protect it and hide it from others. Mine, 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 keep your grubby hands off of it. But if it's God's, my job is to use it to please Him as He sees fit. Many believers today, I, I fear, unfortunately, have a wrong view of money. After they tip God, the rest of it belongs to them. After they give God His teeny tiny portion, they do whatever they want with that. And when that happens, we see the very th- same thing happen today as happened to the children of Israel. The more successful they got, the more tight-fisted they became. The more proud they became and said, this is mine. It, it's a sad truth, but the more money that Christians make, the less money they give away. Instead of open-handed generosity for people with resources, we become tight-fisted scrooges who don't want to part with our dearly beloved idol. The truth is, for the believer, when God asks us to give, we have the wisdom to recognize this as an opportunity for an ownership test. God is trying to figure out, do you know that I own it all? Or are you deluded to believe that you own it? And so when God asks you to give, He's testing us to see what we believe about ownership. I don't, I don't watch much TV. Uh, this season I do. I watch college football. I don't watch many shows. But I have seen these... Um, uh, I'm, I'm sorry, Frankie. It's an AT&T commercial. Um, I've seen these AT&T commercials where a guy sits down with a bunch of school-age kids and he sits down and he asks them a question. Is it, is it better to be faster or slower? Faster! When we talk about stewardship... Let me ask you a question. Is it better to teach God's people what to do with 10% of their money? Or is it better to teach God's people to be obedient with 100% of his money? Someone made a comment here recently. You know, all this stuff about money that we're talking about, we just need to tell people to tithe, and it's a one-point sermon, and we're done with it. Well, the truth is, you can tithe 
and sin against God with the other 90%. And you are not being a good steward at that point. If God indeed owns it all, do we have a responsibility to teach people how to be faithful to God with just 10% of the resources He entrusted to us or with 100% of the resources God has given us? When we learn how to handle our resources from God's perspective, we change our budgeting, we change our giving, and we change our buying because we recognize that God owns it all and we want to do everything, not just our giving to please Him, but our budgeting and our buying. And what's great is when we get this into our brains and it filters down to our hearts, understanding this ownership lesson does immeasurably more good than we would ever imagine. Because when we handle God's resources, God's way, you know what He does? He accomplishes His purposes through us. He builds His character in us. And He blesses those around us. He accomplishes His purposes through us. He builds His character in us, and He blesses those around us. It's a simple lesson for us today. But just as Moses had to tell people, don't forget, remember, in our consumeristic society, we are likely to walk out of these doors and 30 seconds later forget that God owns it all. And so this morning, if the quit claim deed works for you, put it on your refrigerator. Put it in a place where every morning you're reminded that God owns it all. And guys, it's important for us to realize that God doesn't just own your money. He doesn't just own your stuff. He doesn't just own your experiences. He wants to own your life. He wants to own you. And so this morning, as we have the opportunity to move into our time of invitation, this whole conversation about God owning stuff will sound really strange to you if you have never signed your life over to God. Maybe on that quick claim deed, when it says, I give the following stuff to God, maybe you just need to put, I give me, M-E. If you've never trusted God, this is a great morning for you to do that. If you've never publicly expressed that you're following God by being baptized. The Bible says that the very first thing that we do when we believe in God is that we follow God in baptism. We become members of the church. There's multiple applications. The question is, are you willing and happy, happily to do so to admit that God owns it all? Because thinking that He doesn't doesn't change the fact that He does. Let's pray. Lord, we pray this morning that you help us to recognize your ownership of all things. You are such a good God. And this morning, as we count our blessings, we have so much to be grateful for. But Lord, you call upon us to really, truly examine our own hearts, our motives, our attitudes about our stuff. Whether we truly believe that you own it all. That you could, you could call us today and say, give it up. And we'd be glad to do it for your glory and for your sake. Lord, there are those here 
that perhaps for them it's not their stuff, it's, it's their very own soul that they have not entrusted to your watch care. Perhaps they have not um, linked arms with a local congregation the way that they need to. Maybe they need to demonstrate uh, the fact that they are following you uh, by following you in baptism and church membership. Lord, whatever it is, we ask that your spirit apply uh, to each of the individual hearts here the truth that you would have us to take home today. We pray these things in the strong, mighty, and powerful name of our all-providing God.